Welcome back to Kings of the North. Doug Lamarice and Bill Landis, and we're zeroing in on two major Northern teams here, Landis. We just did a show the other day where we ranked the 26 quarterback situations in the North. That We covered every Northern team, all of our people. We embraced them all. We gave everybody a little taste. Hey, your team's getting talked about here. Now we're doing Ohio State-Michigan. It's the biggest rivalry in college sports. It is the two teams that have defined sort of historically Northern college football, and we want to reset the rivalry. We want to talk about Ohio State's offseason, Michigan's offseason in context of each other. We want to talk about their schedules this coming season. We want to talk about returning players, maybe like what what the talent balance is in the, in the rivalry right now. And we want to talk about the history of it, that Michigan – Trying to win a fourth straight in 2024. What does that mean? How often has that kind of thing happened? Little nod. When we did the quarterback rankings, 26 through one, we had question marks for Washington because we didn't know who their quarterback was going to be. And then six hours after we finished that show, Will Rogers, the Mississippi State transfer who had committed to Washington, then went back in the portal, then recommitted to Washington. So we do want to give a nod. If you're going back and watching that show or listening to that show, which we would love for you to do, Washington does seem like it found its quarterback now, right? Yes, and and your um, uh, uh, confidence in their ability to have a better quarterback situation uh, last year was rewarded very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I was very confident in their three question marks. Like, ah, they'll get somebody. They made the national championship game. Who doesn't want to come after Michael Penix? So tip of the cap to uh, Will Rogers in Washington for getting that figured out. So let's talk about this. The state of Ohio State, Michigan, it feels like people are interested in this, Bill Landis. And I will point to a story that came out in the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday morning under the headline, Michigan won a title. This school spent millions to make sure it never happens again. That is a declarative as heck sentence. (laughs) First of all, I don't know that that's actually Ohio State's motivation. Second of all, I don't think spending money in NIL can guarantee that your rival doesn't win a title. But third of all, I think, who reads the Wall Street Journal? It's just like hedge fund managers, right? So like hedge fund managers are waking up Wednesday morning and being like, (laughs) I'll tell you what, this Ohio State, Michigan situation sure is interesting. I don't know why they sound like John Wayne, but like that is, <laughs> I don't know about NIL, but it sure shouldn't be legal if you're asking me. That was a uh, Forrest Gump, I think. Everything I do has a little bit of Forrest Gump in it. You get to Gump pretty quickly. Yeah. I get to Gump pretty quickly. What? What do we make of this? Like, does the world, I don't, the Wall Street Journal covers sports. You know, they have a, a mm-hmm. sports writer there. They do cover sports and they usually they cover it from a monetary standpoint. They're not breaking down. YX banana, right? And whether they should go to the tight end here. But but I'm intrigued by both the presentation of that story and and the idea that the great big wide world is interested in Ohio State spending money in NIL to try to beat Michigan. It is, I mean, that that headline certainly feels a, a tad bit sensationalized, but it is interesting to me that that this is what kind of the world has grabbed onto to, to like finally talk about this when like programs have been doing this legally um, for a couple of years now. And, and I think probably more aggressively and perhaps even with more money being thrown around than Ohio state is currently doing, <clears throat> but the intrigue of the rivalry, the intrigue of Michigan just winning a national championship, 
um, the intrigue that follows Ohio State inherently. And, you know, Ohio State, I think, is a little, a little bit of a crossroads, I think, makes it probably the most interesting example of, of this happening in college football, which is, makes it more worthwhile to dive into, I guess. It does It does feel like there is more focus on this now than there. And there's always a lot of focus on Ohio State, Michigan, obviously, but it does feel like there's more on it now. Like, And I think it's because of the two different directions the programs could potentially be going in at the moment like ohio state is certainly at a crossroads and but michigan is as well um and perhaps going in opposite directions and perhaps this is we're just now seeing the end of you know the michigan uh, another michigan era of this rivalry like what are we gearing up for now as we move forward um i think that le- that that leads to um more interested in is more interest in it as well um but yeah i have i have noticed it and you know we, we tend to be hyper aware of people talking about Ohio state, but it feels like it's been ratcheted up quite a bit um, these last couple of weeks. Yeah. I think, I think people know that, that you and I have been covering Ohio state for a long time. We do have a Kings of Columbus, Ohio state specific show uh, on our, the podcast channel on YouTube and on podcasts and Ohio state, Michigan are always going to really matter to the North. But the, the thing that's this rivalry in the last generation has been about dominance by one side, right? That it was before this three-year run by Michigan, there was Ohio State dominance, uh, starting with the arrival of Jim Tressel and continuing up through Urban Meyer. Previous to that, of course, there was Michigan's dominance in the rivalry against John Cooper, John Cooper 2-10-1 and in the rivalry. So we were imbalanced, right? That it was, and previous to that, right, the 10-year war with Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler, you know, Earl Bruce was 5-4 and four in his time as the Ohio State head coach in nine years in the rivalry. There was a balance. It was back and forth. And so... The thing that I think we're at an an interesting spot because you were waiting for Michigan to improve. You were Michigan waiting for Michigan to rise up and challenge Ohio State. And clearly, Michigan has done that. But then I certainly thought that that meant now we're going to get back to balance. Yes. And instead, it's three straight for Michigan. At the end of the show, we'll talk about the fact that four in a row is not that common in this rivalry. And so now, like, we're on the precipice of are we going to get back to balance or are we, are we back to domination? Because it's not like Ohio State is a terrible program. You know, listen, when, when Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer were dominating Michigan for long stretches there under Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, like, they weren't super competitive. Like, generally, they weren't a good program. Now, when, when John Cooper was at Ohio State, most of that, they were a very good program. They just couldn't beat, they couldn't beat their rival, they couldn't beat Michigan. Does it feel like we are on the edge of that, Bill? That like that this game in 2024 will help determine whether we are back to equilibrium or we're starting another run of dominance, or maybe we already are in another run of dominance. Um, yeah, yes, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like almost hesitate to say that we're going to enter another run of dominance because I, like you, thought that we were getting back to balance and balance with Michigan's initial win in 2021 um and i don't know like if if it's like three for michigan and then ohio state wins the next three is that balance or is that another run of dominance we'll be here if ohio (laughs) state wins four in a row we'll be right back where we are right now yeah for sure yeah like i like over the course if if over the course of a decade it ends up being five five but it's like 
three in a row for Michigan, three in a row for Ohio State, then split the next two. Like, I, like that's balance, I guess, right? At least, at least in, in, like in recent history of this rivalry, that's balance because it's it's been, you know, a, a one-off win in the midst of like fourteen wins for the other team. Um, uh, other otherwise, so uh, yes, I think I think this next com- this upcoming game in twenty twenty four in Columbus. Um, will determine which direction it goes. Um, what way I lean on that, I have I have no idea. Um, because it's hard to kind of figure out which what Michigan is going to be. But I will say that, like, if <clears throat> with anticipated changes at Michigan, with the way the roster's turning over, which we're going to talk about, if they manage to get the fourth in a row in that with, hmm. with that team against what Ohio State has done, um, it'll be a I think a historic sort of marker in the rivalry of like a a. a exclamation point on a run of dominance for Michigan that we have not seen in a while. And that it feels like to some degree that happened this season with Jim Harbaugh suspended for the Ohio state, Michigan. A little bit. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. if Michigan can beat Ohio state when they don't even have their coach, what does that mean? It's like, well, they went out and did it. So, and then they won the national championship. So it is odd. The other thing here is that Ohio state's winning the off season after Michigan won the season and Michigan naturally, right. Is losing a lot of players to the NFL. They may lose their head coach. There's there's a lot of momentum around Ohio State, but this is there's a little bit to this. The Wall Street Journal thing just is is has mm-hmm. thrown me off a little bit because there's a natural order of things that when you don't reach your goals, you kind of double down and say, "Man, we're really going to do it." And when you do reach your goals, you kind of say, "All right, we did what we came to do. We're ready to move on to the next thing." And I feel like a, a large degree of what is happening here is like, "Listen, man, Michigan may have had its best season ever." Ever. So nobody's sticking around. Nobody with a decision is sticking around. They did what they came to do. Ohio State is is going crazy that they lost to Michigan. But I don't know. I don't know that that is any different than it would be in any rivalry, in any situation, that the idea of like, this team is going to pay millions of dollars to make sure it never happens again. It's like, I don't know. Aren't they just going to try a little bit harder? I, yeah. like, I, 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 it's so weird. Is that <laughs> the head, the hedge fund managers? That's what they want. You know, yes. hey, did you hear, did you hear about this team that is never going to let it happen again? I don't know. Aren't they both going to be good teams and play each other and do their best? Yeah. And I also wonder like what, what makes it fundamentally different from Michigan keeping all of its good players the last couple yeah. of years in an effort to like, Yes, beat Ohio State, but more than that, like win a national championship, which is what like I said this to you before we started recording. Like, had Ohio State beaten Michigan this year and not won a national championship, which is Ohio State's number one goal, um, I still think this would have happened. I think they would have brought back everyone they or not maybe not everyone, but I think they would have brought back a large chunk of players, been aggressive with NIL to do so, because the goal is to win a national title and they wouldn't have done it. So yes, Michigan is part of it. Um and maybe Michigan winning a national title was, um, I don't know, crystallization for anybody who was like hesitant about giving money to, to the Ohio State NIL effort. I, I don't know. I, I I tend to think that's actually not the case. Um, but I don't I don't think that this is Ohio State loading up because I never want to see Michigan do that again. It's Ohio State loading up because it hasn't done it, which um, yeah. I think would be true even if Michigan was, uh, you know, one in one in uh, eleven last year. I'm trying to think like other situations where you could apply a team did a thing so that their rival would never do that again. Like if you said Georgia is trying to topple Alabama, so they're going to let their players go to strip clubs. So Bama never beats them again. You know what I mean? Like what, 
<laughs> I don't know. You're just going to kind of do your thing. It's it's an odd. And then again, in the story, they talk to like people around like the NIL collective at Ohio State, which is part of it is just like Ohio State getting more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And they already knew again, they cite the $13 million thing from the from the news conference that I attended two years ago that that figure was out there. And I don't know. It's an it's an odd. It's an odd characterization of a story when I said they got Ohio State went in the portal and got a quarterback because their quarterback wasn't good enough last year. Yeah. Like if their quarterback had been good enough, they wouldn't have gotten a quarterback in the portal. And then Alabama exploded because Nick Saban retired. So they took a quarterback and a safety from Alabama. Well, a bunch of other people took people from Alabama. And so I don't know. Is that because they decided they weren't? Gonna let Michigan ever win in the national title again, or are they just like, hey, cool, good Bama players? Yeah, cool. You know Caleb I mean? Downs is available. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, please. Do you no. think that Ohio State would have taken Caleb Downs if they had beaten Michigan this year? <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? Yeah, Ohio State beat Michigan and now they took Caleb Downs because they want to make sure it does happen again. I don't know, I think <laughs> there's, there's a cause and effect that is implied in the wall street journal story that I'm not sure is either exactly true or if it is true, it's not unusual. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think there is truth in it, but it's not, it's like, it paints it as the sole reason. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's true. Yeah. And they have two periods in the headlines. You put periods in headlines, Michigan won a title <laughs> period. This school spent millions to make sure it never happens again. Period. I didn't know you put so many periods in headlines. We used to do that at the athletic sometimes. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a fancy journalism thing, I think. No periods and headlines on KOTM, that's all I'm saying. I will say that periods and headlines and stories of NIL do appeal to hedge fund managers like myself. I am Stetson Bennett, college football hedge fund manager. All right. Let's talk about if Jim Harbaugh is gonna go to the NFL. Uh, let me just let me just check check Twitter real quick to make sure it hasn't happened. Okay, we're good. <laughs> we're recording this. Listen, man, we know we we know you guys know we're gonna get to five days a week with this show, and then like you just got to do what you got to do. It's like the show's starting. Let's talk about what we know at the moment. So we were planning this show. We wanted to do a Michigan show, and by the time you listen to it, they're very or watch it, they're very well maybe a Jim Harbaugh decision. So we don't want to sit here and like if our way through a show. That, that feels old the instant that you you partake of it seems like he's gonna go mm-hmm. is can Michigan is so when when Nick Saban retired I said that that was much more Saban than Bama that that was if you think that Bama is owed that level of success you're mistaken I think Nick Saban could have done that at multiple big time programs and I don't know I said on the AP podcast I was on the other day, I thought it was 80% Saban, 20% Bama. Maybe that's a little harsh, but but I think it's more Saban than program. Is this level of Michigan success, is it more coach than program? That if Jim Harbaugh is not the head coach here, is does that mean, okay, Michigan's going to be back to like hoping they make a bowl? That's really... Uh- I, I think I think I believe it is more coached than program, but not to the extent of Alabama. Like I, if, if you had if you had Alabama like eighty percent saving, twenty percent program, I might be like fifty five forty five, like in favor of Harbaugh, or maybe sixty forty in favor of Harbaugh. The thing that gives me a little pause is like the beginning of Jim Harbaugh's tenure was not very good. Um, 
but it was also like digging Michigan out of a hole of two head coaches that just like didn't know what they were doing. Um, so I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. Like Michigan showing itself capable of taking the dip that it had prior to Jim Harbaugh, like makes me worry about just sort of like the inherent strength of the program, if that makes sense. Like, and it makes me want to attribute more of this to the coach. So I do think, I think I would lean more program than coach because I actually think Rich Rod, Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke were two terrible hires in two very different ways. And they were, they were wildly swinging from one side to the other that they wanted to enter a new age of offense. And they wanted to get a guy who had, was not a cultural fit at Michigan. He had won at West Virginia. He was the hot name at the moment. And they went and got Rich Rodriguez and it was never a fit. And then they were like, Oh man, cultural fit at all costs. So then they went and got Brady Hoke, who was an ultimate Michigan man, but he was the ball state coach. (laughs) And it was like, okay, is there something in between the West Virginia coach who's like never been to Ann Arbor and the pure Michigan man who's the ball state coach. Like, can we find something in between? Because here's what I would say, Jim Harbaugh's success, this level of success. I don't think this level of success is guaranteed with any good hire. And this is not a shot, but shouldn't Michigan be able to do what Lloyd Carr did? Like is Lloyd Carr an all timer? I think Lloyd, right? Lloyd Carr is a very good, football coach. He's the head coach at Michigan for 13 years. He wins a national title. During his tenure at Michigan, they reached the top 10 of the AP poll at some point during the season in every single year. They mattered every single year, right? Really mattered. Never had a losing season, right? I mean, really up there as an important program. I think Michigan can be that with a lot of people. As long as you don't miss the way you missed with Rich Rod and Brady Hoke. And if you're that, no, that's not 15-0 national champion. But I think that there is a, like Michigan's length of success is not the same as what Bama did with Saban. Jim Harbaugh is excellent. He's not the greatest college football coach of all time like Saban is. I'm, I'm not saying that Michigan's a better program than Bama, but Bama reached such heights right? That, that that standard is even above Michigan. I think Michigan can come closer to replicating this version of success with another coach than Alabama can. Oh, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I think Sharon Moore can be Lloyd Carr if he's yeah. the next coach, right? Yes, I think so. Like, yeah. like floor, like floor Lloyd Carr, like floor compete at the top of the big 10 matter every year, beat good teams, be a regular playoff team, not replicate this necessarily, right? This is as good as it gets for Michigan, Yeah, but matter in a way that Michigan fell off a cliff for a decade because they made two bad hires. I think Michigan can retain that. And with what Jim Harbaugh did at San Francisco, these were the stories that came out at the end of San Francisco, right? Four years in San Francisco, just like extremely successful the first three years. And then uh, eight and eight in the last year, right? And the, and the stories that sort of came out from the 49ers after the fact were like a little bit of, I think, like wearing out the welcome yeah, a, a little bit. And so... And then, and again, this is this is not coincidental, right? San Francisco, thirteen and three, eleven four and one, twelve and four, and then eight and eight. Jim Harbaugh does it Jim Harbaugh's way, and guess what? That's how he wins. Now mm-hmm. it took him a little while to win at the highest level at Michigan, but he ended up doing it Jim Harbaugh's way. 
But when you are so insistent on doing it your way, you can wear out your welcome a little bit. So I also don't, you know, who's like that urban Meyer, right? Like this is, Mm -hmm. this is not a criticism. There, there, There is a, you know, there's like a sort of a greatness, a genius conversation where when you are rare, sometimes you're not there for the long haul. So I also, I don't, like, I think there's a part of this. I'm not saying that it's like better for Michigan to lose Jim Harbaugh, but I don't know that Michigan would be looking at like, you know, 15 and 0 over the next four years in a row anyway, because like this was kind of a special year. So I don't think Michigan is going away regardless of who its head coach is. That's all. Well, well, not regardless. Yeah. If the- Assuming they hire Sharon Moore, which we all think they will. Yeah, no, I th- I, th- I think I agree with that. Um, <clears throat> it, but it is a it is a like like Ohio State for instance. Like if Ohio State makes a quote unquote bad hire, the floor is still incredibly high. I think if Michigan makes a bad hire, we know what the floor is. It's pretty low. Um, so that I, I think it is more dependent on that than like a. Ohio State certainly, and then maybe like in the new world, like in Alabama or Georgia, maybe like I don't think it's on that like quite that level, but um, with the right hire, I think I think that they can maintain their standing for sure. Brady Hook was at San Diego State for two years before he came to Michigan, but he'd been at Ball State a long time before that. So they fired they hired the San Diego State head coach. I also maybe would argue that I don't know that Ohio State has ever made in the modern era hires as bad as Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. Because he, because like J- John Cooper was not a cultural fit, but he recruited like a maniac, right? Like yeah. there were good parts. Like there were good parts of John Cooper. John Cooper is pretty darn good. Fifty weeks out of the year, so like in a way, like that's one of those things. Like two ten and one. That obviously everybody knows that, but like to compare John Cooper to Rich Rodriguez is like, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. John Cooper was a talent <laughs> talent factory. <laughs> John Cooper was like, would have won a national championship if there had been a 14 playoff or certainly a 12 team playoff. Right. So like, it's, it's just a different world. So I do think, uh, Jim Harbaugh is obviously, um, deserves a ton of credit and, uh, for, for doing what he did at Michigan. But I also think Michigan needed to be set back up to success. And so I think he's also done that he has set up and, and it's something, you know, the third base thing remains part of this Ohio state, mm-hmm. Michigan rivalry. When Jim Harbaugh said some people are born on third base and they think, you know, referencing Ryan Day, who took over a very good program from Urban Meyer, this is a third base situation, right? Like this is not, this is a program that is thriving. And yes, it's losing a lot of talent, but I do think as long as they don't make a terrible hire, I I have a hard time explaining myself sometimes with coaches that I don't think that just anybody can do the job. But I think there are a lot of good people who can do mm-hmm. a job. And so that as long as you aren't stupid with your hire, you should be fine. Now, that applies more to assistant coaches than to head coaches. Head coaches are, quote, worth the money because they set the tone for the entire program, structure, hiring, motivation, scheme, everything. They're everything. But I do think there are more There are more people right now who could win at Michigan. I think by the time you got to the end of the Brady Hoke era, I think it's possible that maybe you could have said the only person who can win at Michigan right now is Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, the only person who can fix this is Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, Because you need someone who is a high-level coach and who also has strong Michigan roots. And how many people fit that? 
because you couldn't bring in somebody who's just a Michigan man but hasn't done it at the highest level. This guy made a Super Bowl. And you can't bring in somebody who's a high-level coach but doesn't understand what life is like as a Michigan man. So that's a very specific category. But now you've expanded. I think you've expanded the pool of people who can succeed, but although they should give it to Sharon Moore. All right. So, so what? What is your if you were if you were eighty twenty on Saban Bama, and I'm like, and yeah. I'm a little more of a lean toward Harbaugh on this. Where Where are you at? Like, what's your percentage? Where you I mean, I'm probably close to fifty fifty, yeah. but I might be more um, like fifty five program, forty five Harbaugh. Like as it stands now, because again, we're talking about like on the way out the door, mm-hmm. right? Like given what the person did, and now if they leave, what would they be? So. I wouldn't have been there when Harbaugh came in. To me, it was more about the coach, but I think the, the the success was to such a degree, it reminded Michigan of what it can be. It motivated everybody else there to say, we want to do this. It matters to us, and they're no longer flailing to figure it out. He set them down a path. So that's why I say 55-45 for the program, because whereas Saban has set Alabama down a path, it's like on a cliff. It's like nobody can walk that path. They're going to fall off mm-hmm. the cliff. And then they decided to hire somebody who had never been to Alabama before. So again, like they went for like high level coach, no cultural fit. Whereas I think Michigan would have an opportunity with Sharon Moore sitting right there to be high level coach. Hasn't been a head coach, so you don't know for sure, but also cultural fit because he did a good job while Harbaugh was out and he knows what it's like to care about Michigan. Yeah. And there's, there's, I think like similar, like you said, to Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer and like Jim Jim Trussell out of Hendon too, like there's championship infrastructure at Michigan now that didn't exist, I think. Like Yes. From like basically from really from the bottom up, I th- I think they understand what they have to be, how they have to be aligned, what it takes financially. And like they'll they'll go about it differently, right? They're not I don't think I don't think Michigan's ever going to recruit like in Alabama or Georgia, but I think they know exactly how they have to go about it now to win at the highest level. Yeah. Um, and that was not apparent, you know, in the decade prior to Jim Harbaugh. And now he's like kind of shown them the way you, I flailed around for like 17 minutes and you said championship infrastructure, and that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. So also it's one of those things where I think Nick Saban gave Alabama a plan, but part of the plan is like, only I can do this. Yes. Whereas yeah, right. Jim Harbaugh gave Michigan a plan. And it's like, if you're a good coach who cares about Michigan, you have a chance to do this. I I, I think that's where the difference is a yeah. little bit. Let's put up the Jim Harbaugh success just to remind people, again, it wasn't instantaneous in terms of super high level because, again, he lost his first five to Ohio State before the 2020 game was canceled. But still, 10-3, and 10-3, and 8-5, and 10-3, and 9-4. and four. That is such a sea change from what Rich Rod and Brady Hoke were doing. I mean, you, you have to acknowledge that even though they weren't winning any of their big games, they weren't winning top 10 games, that kind of thing. Two and four in 2020, the, the game is canceled by COVID. And now this run the last couple of years where the last three seasons, they've lost three games total and they've won every game against Ohio State is remarkable. 89 and 25 overall for Jim Harbaugh, three and five against Ohio State. And, and if this is the end, and we certainly, you know, think it's a very good chance that it is. Um, it is a, a legacy that will run deep in mm-hmm. Ann Arbor for uh, decades to come. Obviously, you know, there's NCAA stuff waiting that certainly seems like that's part of his decision-making process. Reports that 
he wants some assurances that if the NCAA comes down on some stuff, that like he won't be fired for cause and lose his job right after he signs a, you know, a new contract to stay or anything like that. So there's some complicating factors here beyond we want it all. And I want to win a Super Bowl. There's also some stuff potentially chasing him out the door, which is why this offseason is so complicated, right? That's part of it too, Bill, that we're talking about. Michigan has the upper hand on Ohio State, but Ohio State has the momentum right now because they've made changes where Michigan's losing people, but also this the, the COVID buying cheeseburgers thing and the Connor Stallions thing, neither of those seem over. And we have to mention that that remains part of this offseason, that for as good as Michigan's been, there's some uncertainty around that, what the final result's going to be. Yeah, there, there is. They're in, a, <clears throat> they're in a, like a holding pattern, I guess, like trying to yeah. trying to figure out like, well, I th- number one, I think what's going to happen with Jim Harbaugh and, and this job. But number two, what is coming down the road from the NCAA? And and maybe it's it's nothing that is, you know, all that crippling. Maybe it's like suspensions and, and Michigan can otherwise sort of be Michigan. And, and maybe that's not, factoring into sort of like their stagnation with their roster, but like they're not doing much. Like they're, they're just not active because yeah. um, I think, you know, if I'm a player anyway, I'm thinking to myself, like what exactly would I be signing up for if I decided to come to Michigan right now? So I think, I think they are trying to navigate that a little bit as well. Okay. We want to talk about the talent that is leaving and staying at these two programs. So we're going to do a little exercise to lead that discussion. We'll do that next on Kings of the North. All right, we want to get back on the field here. And again, like we we appreciate all, all you guys who are partaking of Kings of the North. Um, we asked you to kind of spread the word. Um, who can I find? I, there was somebody, Landis, who like tweeted at a show. Oh, tweeted, yeah. Yeah, like an Indianapolis radio show and was like, hey, you should have the Kings of the North guys on. Which Jason, was like Jason Small. Jason Small. What 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 a spreading the word, man. Love it. Thanks so yeah. much. It's awesome. So yeah, so we, we want to be, we want to go out into the world. We want to go out in the north. So we want to go out and be on radio stations and podcasts in Oregon and Indiana and Iowa and New York and everywhere in between to talk about northern football. So if you're if you're helping that cause, man, we just we absolutely just could not be could not be more grateful. On Kings of Columbus, our Ohio State show, we drafted multiple times this year the best 22 Ohio State football players. We're going to run through that list, and then we are going to draft what we believe were the best 22 Michigan players from this past season, and it's in service of something, which is the talent loss and the talent retained from those two programs. So we'll do it quickly on Ohio State. This is like, it's it's you know, if, if we're off on a guy or two, eh, I don't know about that draft pick. Like, the point is, we really want to gather like the best players and then what what their deal is. Number one for us was Marvin Harrison Jr. at receiver. Number two was Denzel Burke, the corner. Jack Sawyer, the defensive end, number three. Tyleek Williams, defensive tackle, number four. Travion Henderson, the running back, number five. JT Tui Marlowe, the defensive end, number six. Mike Hall, the defensive tackle, number seven. Jordan Hancock, slot corner safety, number eight. Cade Stover, the tight end, number nine. Josh Proctor, the safety, number 10. And Emeka Buka, number 11. So that top 11, Landis, Marvin Harrison Jr. will not be back this coming season. Burke, Sawyer, Williams, Henderson, Tuamolo are. Michael Jr. will not be back. Cade Stover not back. Josh Proctor not back. But seven of the top 11 for Ohio State returning, many of them turning down the NFL, returning in 2023. Pretty good. Seven of your top 11, right? Yeah, not bad. Because I think a couple of those guys were like, you know, second or 
certainly day two kind of kind of draft picks. Um, I think a couple like like Denzel Burke was one of the best corners in the country last year. Um, Tyler Williams was one of the best defensive tackles in the country last year. Like guys we talked about when we were doing our player rankings throughout the season, pe- people who watched us know, know that. So that's the kind of players that Ohio State is returning and um, a lot of production, a lot of experience. Um, it's pretty good. It's pretty right. good. Number 12 on our list was uh, Davis and Igbignos in the corner. Sonny Styles, the safety 13. Matt Jones on the offensive line 14. Lathan Ransom, the safety 15. Cody Simon at linebacker 16. Linebacker Tommy Eichenberg 17. Defensive tackle Ty Hamilton 18. Quarterback Kyle McCord 19. Offensive lineman Donovan Jackson 20. Steel Chambers at linebacker 21. And Chip Trainum, the running back 22. So Matt Jones on the offensive line, not back. Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, the linebackers, not back. Kyle McCord transferred and Chip Trainum transferred. So again, overall, this is 13 of Ohio State's top 22 by our list will return in 2023. Generally speaking, do you think that's a pretty good number for for a high level team? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a, I think it's a great number for a high level team, especially for a team that you know, re- recruits and should be able to plug holes or, or get transfers um, <clears throat> the way that Ohio State has this this season. So and and a lot of it is on defense too. Like if you break it down, like they're basically returning all the two spots on or I guess three, if you two two starting linebackers and a free safety on defense and basically everybody else is coming back. Um so you're really, you're really, really strong on one side of the ball with with what Ohio State was able to do this offseason. And you're plugging that hole at safety with a with Caleb five Downs. Caleb Downs. Yeah. All right. So now we want to do this for Michigan. And we had talked about this that we wanted to do this for Michigan anyway, mm-hmm. because it is an interesting exercise. We know we're looking back. We'd rather look forward on this show, but we re- I think we need to reset this because as difficult as it was to do this for Ohio State at times, like you knew Marvin Harrison Jr. is number one. I'm not even sure who the number one player is for Michigan. And when I was trying to figure out, like, drafting the best Michigan players, there are guys I think I could have said, like, if I did the draft right now, I would have this guy one and this guy 12. And if I did it five minutes from now, I would have that guy at 12 at number one. Like, mm-hmm. there's such a, you know, there are not Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, guys like that at the top, but the depth of good players is ridiculous, which is why they won the national title. Yeah. It's just like 30 really good players. Yeah. <laughs> it's, which it's is great. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you go first. We're going to do this fast because this idea again is in service of something else, but it's a reminder of like, Hey, how did these guys do it? We've talked about this a lot. We talked about it with Ari Wasserman. It's a depth of talent. It, it starts with talent, but if you can keep those guys around for year four, keep some of them around for year five, that's a good way to win in the North. Let's do our draft. Who are you taking number one? I'll take Blake Corum. Okay. I had him five. Um, but again, like I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. I The guy that I had number one, who I'm going to take now, got hurt, missed the end of the year, and they were fine. <laughs> I'm going to take guard Zach Zinter, who Zach we thought Zinter. was the best guard in college football. He got hurt in the Ohio State game, and they played their next three games and just shifted some guys around and literally did not miss him, which does not mean Zach Zinter is not excellent. It means that's the kind of depth of talent Michigan had this year. Yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, I'll take Mason Graham, third defensive Mason tackle. Gra- I had him third on my list. I'll take Mike Sainer still fourth then, the, uh, the <clears throat> slot corner. Okay. Um, I will take uh, Will Johnson fifth. Okay, and that's my top five as well. So in our top five, they're losing three of them. They have two guys coming back. Mason Graham and Will Johnson will be back for Michigan in 2024. Uh, sixth, I'll take 
Colston Loveland, the tight end. Mm. I like him a lot. He's a good player. Yeah. Now you're mad. He's going to be the focal point of their offense next year. Our, our draft, which doesn't actually matter that much, you're already a little bit mad that I took Colston. I'm mad. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing him. <laughs> um, I will take, man. Too many good players. Too many good players. They're like, it's like, yeah, I could pick seven players. I'll take um, Junior Colson. That's who I had next. Yeah. I'll take JJ McCarthy at quarterback number eight. Okay. JJ. I'm just writing him down so I don't pick uh, the same guy twice. Yeah. Um, let's go with Chris Jenkins. That's who I had next. Chris Jenkins' defensive tackle is 10. I'll go Michael Barrett at linebacker at number 10. Okay, and I will round out the first 11 with, um, actually, I'll take Roman Wilson. Oh, Roman Wilson. Okay, wait, did I? Did I leave Roman Wilson off? My gosh, Roman Wilson's <laughs> so good, I accidentally left Roman Wilson <laughs> off my list. Like, that is no offense. Of course, he deserves to be there. I accidentally left him off my list. All right, I'll take uh, Drake Nugent, the center. The center. Yep. At number 12. Okay. Um, I accidentally left their leading receiver off my list and didn't notice it because they had 22 other super talented guys. They did. It's yeah. part of how dumb I am, but it also tells us something about their depth of talent. <laughs> uh, you took Michael Barrett already. Let me take, um, let me take Mike Yerstowski, our producer, is running uh, a ticker under the screen on YouTube, and he, it was like we're going so fast. He was like, Ugh! "Yeah, I want to give him. I want to give yeah, him a little bit of time to, to, to catch up here as well." I'm be honest, Doug. I, I I did not hear who you said for twelve. Twelve is Drake Nugent at Drake center. Nugent. Thank you. Um, I'll take Josh Wallace. Yep, that's was my next yeah. guy on the list. Josh yeah. Wallace, the corner, the transfer from UMass. Uh, I will take uh, Trevor Keegan, the other guard, opposite Zach Zinter. Okay. At number 14. Um, I mean, he... I want, maybe it's too early to take him. I'll wait. Uh, I'll take Josiah Stewart. Josiah Stewart at 15. I'll take, uh, I'll take Kenneth Grant at defensive yeah. tackle, number 16. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. Uh, I'm going to, you know, he's not the, I'm going to take AJ Barner. He was an important player for them this year. Yeah. AJ Barner, yeah. their second tight end, but they're in 12 personnel enough that he's like, uh, he's like a guy. Um, I'll take Jalen Harrell okay. off the edge at number 18. Uh, I'm going to take Donovan Edwards. Got to take Donovan Edwards, backup running back, who, who again, like, I I don't know if Heisman odds are out yet or not. Like, I, I, I'm i very curious about Donovan Edwards' feature back for the Michigan Wolverines in 2024 and what that might look like. Uh, I'll take Braden McGregor off the edge at number 20. Okay. Braden McGregor. Uh, I'll take Rod Moore, <clears throat> safety. Yep. Rod Moore, he is pick number 21, and I'll take Ladarius Henderson, the left tackle at 22. Okay. No Trente Jones, no Makari Page. Like, again, like th there's plenty of other guys we could have taken, right? Yeah, there's probably, I mean, we didn't take Derek Moore, right? Um, 
just looking at some snap count guys here. Like Keon Sab, like yep, who's you know probably gonna take over for Sanders Cam, still. Cam Good, who was like their fourth tack, defensive tackle, I thought was had a pretty good season. We didn't take him. <clears throat> uh, didn't take Cornelius Johnson. Yeah. Yep. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Okay. So that was the point of this. That's those are our twenty-two best players for the national champion, fifteen and zero Michigan Wolverines. We said that uh, Ohio State is losing nine, and thirteen of their twenty-two are back. By our count, Michigan is losing fifteen, and bringing back seven, and so and like there, there's like it's kind of like in the top fifteen, especially like in the top fifteen. Top 14, top 14, the only three guys they have back are Mason Graham at defensive tackle, Will Johnson at corner, and Colston Loveland at tight end. So they're losing 11 of their 14 best players. So like that's what we're talking about with Michigan. So this matters as we go, right? We're looking forward in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. This is part of it, that this was like a peak for Michigan. And you thought maybe it was going to be a peak for Ohio State with how many third-year guys they had. If they had won, if they had won a national, if they had beat Michigan and won a national championship, some of those guys would have gone to the NFL for sure. So yeah. it's driven, you know, again, this is the natural ebb and flow. But Michigan, this is Michigan has an uphill climb in 2024. I believe they can sustain this yeah. to a large degree, generally as a program. I also think it's possible, especially if they have a new coach and we don't know their quarterback situation. We talked about that in our quarterback draft. This could be something of a step back year for them when you're talking about a talent reset to this degree. Well, yeah, they didn't lose last year, so I think they're going to have have a little bit of a step yeah. back. But but I I think like it, there are <clears throat> there are a handful of players we didn't pick who are also coming back who were important to them last year. And I think we'll we'll have increased roles this year that I that I think can help them sustain to your to your point, especially on the defensive side. There, there's going to be, I think, a rather large makeover happening on the offensive side of the ball because really the only two like impact playmakers you're returning, I, I believe, are Donovan Edwards and, and Colston Loveland. Um, offensive line is going to be remade a little bit. Obviously, quarterback's going to be different, but but I, I think this defense still has a chance to be one of the best in the country. Um, now, did they lose Jesse Minter? And, and how does that impact things? I, I think is a question that we'll tackle if and when it happens. Um, but from a talent standpoint, I think Michigan is okay on defense, um, which will allow the step back, whatever it is, I think to not be a drastic one. But of, I think, of course, there's going to be at least a little bit of one. Yeah. So let's talk about then what we think this Ohio State-Michigan gap might be in 2024 and talk about where Michigan was clearly better than Ohio State and where Ohio State is trying to make up ground here. Let's talk about it on the defensive side of the ball for both teams, right? Ohio State, as you said, is bringing it, bring it back like nine starters on defense and they added Caleb Downs to fill one of those spots. The Ohio State defense and the Michigan defense were both what? Top three, five three, like defenses I mean, in the country? Te technically, year? I think I think one and two in some categories, but like... Take take everything into account, like comfortably to both top five, yeah. And so, uh, there's a there's every reason to believe that Ohio State will replicate and frankly improve mm -hmm. on that defensive effort when they bring back as many guys as they did, and you add Caleb Downs. Ohio Michigan is is losing more guys, but there is a depth there again. That the way Jesse Minter called defenses, 
the, the 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 style of defense that Michigan played. If he's off to the NFL with Jim Harbaugh, that would be a loss. But I do think they could retain they would retain that that way of doing business on defense. And you do think you just said it, but I'm going to make you repeat it. You think Michigan with the guys back on defense, Will Johnson, Mason Graham, Josiah Stewart, a bunch of these guys, can you know Keon Sab uh, can retain much of what made them great on defense in 2023. Yeah, I think so. Like there, there are there are key guys there. Like like Mike Sainer still did a lot for you. Like how how are you going to replace that? Um, <clears throat> you don't have maybe the quite the same depth at defensive tackle, although it's a, still going to be pretty good. Um, but yes, I, I I think that I still think the floor for Michigan with the talent they have coming back on defense is like a top ten defense, unless yeah. they just like swing and miss on whoever the new coordinator might be if they have to replace Jesse Minter. But but from a talent on paper standpoint, I, I think this should still be a top 10 defense. So let's talk about offense then. Let's talk about the offensive line. For Ohio State, right, they're bringing a lot of guys back, but that offensive line wasn't up to the Ohio State standard a year ago. Meanwhile, Michigan felt like it had seven NFL guys on the offensive line. They're losing six. Mm-hmm. The only guy back is Miles Hinton. They got Josh Preby as a transfer from Northwestern. And again, a couple years ago, two years ago, you and I were borderline ready to vote for Oluola with Timmy, the Michigan center on our Heisman ballots. And then he left and they brought in Drake Nugent from Stanford. So it, I think, is should there be a belief that as long as Sharon Moore, who's the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator, as long as he is at Michigan, Michigan will be the like number one most attractive place for offensive linemen in the portal. And even if right now you would say, I mean, and they have some backups that are ready to go, but maybe mm-hmm. if there's some question marks there, should there be an inherent belief that Michigan will figure it out and grab a guy or two on the offensive line? Yeah, they've done really well with it the last couple of years. Now they've they've kind of missed this first window. They've they've not added an offensive line transfer yet, and and I do think it is a little treacherous to to just kind of wait and hope on that second window. Um, but they've done it, so so I, I think that they they can find somebody there, and more guys will, will go in, and, and probably more. The last couple of years, it's not been a particularly lucrative window for offensive linemen. Maybe I think maybe that'll continue to change, and there'll be more and more in there um, every year. So. Yeah, I, th- I think it's okay to kind of trust that. Well, I-, I think mostly trust their development on the offensive line um, and like having guys sort of in the pipeline wait, ready to go. But also they have, they just had a really good eye for transfers and guys that fit what they want to do. And, and I do think you're right. Like the way they play, the way they prioritize and feature the offensive line um, would make them a very attractive destination for whoever might be available. Yeah. And when you think about the skill guys, obviously Ohio State, at the skill positions with Trevion Henderson and Emeka Ibuka and Carnell Tate, number one recruit in the country, Jeremiah Smith coming in, they will continue to have great high-level skill guys. It feels like Michigan's coming along at that position. And again, I've, I've been sort of waiting for Donovan Edwards to go crazy, and he's just been having to sort of bide his time behind Blake Corm. Had kind of a weird year. I think he is absolutely a number one running back in 2024. And then you think of guys like Tyler Morris and, and Morgan. and a couple, I actually think even though they're losing Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson, I think we might see Michigan be pretty decent at the skill positions. It feels like they've gotten, that's one of the areas where maybe the last couple of years, their recruiting has ticked up a little bit, a little bit. And I think they've um, tweaked the offense a little bit too. I think to, to feature them more, like it was, I think for a long time, it just kind of felt like that position was an afterthought. Maybe that was a, a reflection of the talent more than it was, um, philosophy but yeah I, th- I think you're right i think that, that that's better clearly tight ends good um 
and I think will continue to be good. And they also have, like Khalil Mullins is coming back too, yep. in addition to Donovan Edwards, which is something that's probably not been talked about a ton, but he's he's been very good for them. Khalil Mullins has is like the third running back, and you can throw him in there as a blocking back. Like I think he gives you a lot. So the rushing attack I think should be good. I also misspoke. They did add they did add an offensive lineman already um, in the portal. They got Josh Preby from Northwestern starting guard there last year. So I, I guess he'll he'll slot into one of those spots um, <clears throat> for Michigan this year. Um, like it'll depend on the quarterback. I mean, like, I mean, not to state the obvious, like, yes, yes. I think the skill has gotten better at Michigan. They've recruited generally just better at those spots, but they also don't have a quarterback who's thrown a pass in college. So we don't know how they're going to get the ball to them. So when you think about, if you, if we're trying to think about it from a talent perspective, where what the players, right? The players on the field, where did a Michigan have the biggest edges in the Ohio State Michigan game in 2023? Like, why why did Michigan win that game? What did they do better than Ohio State? Like, I think offensive mm. line, we certainly would say, right? That like Michigan's yeah. depth of talent on the offensive line was better than Ohio State's, and that showed up, right? Mm-hmm. Where is and then quarterback play? Like, are those the two main things? Like, the level of quarterback play that again, you know, JJ McCarthy wasn't asked to do as much as Kyle McCord was asked to do, but that was obviously a huge storyline of Ohio State pick Kyle McCord over JJ McCarthy in recruiting. We thought maybe we'd get a couple years of that rivalry. We got one. And do you remember? I think we maybe did this as we were leaving. We set, we said Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, Kyle McCord, JJ McCarthy. How many of those four will be back in 2024? I think we set the over-under at two and a half. Mm. And we might end up at it being one. One. Right? Yeah. So was it what what do you think? Why did Michigan beat Ohio State in 2023? I don't I don't know that there's like one like glaring reason why. Like I, it actually wasn't a particularly well played game. I don't I don't think for either team. Um I think I don't know what's the right way to say it. Like, I, I think Michigan was able to like lean on its identity a little more than Ohio state was in that game. Like Ohio state wants to be a big play passing offense. It couldn't quite do that. Michigan wants to just run a tanger through it and be efficient. And while they lacked the explosiveness, um, they certainly were efficient, especially in a couple of key moments late in the game. Um, <clears throat> Ohio state's quarterback threw two picks and Michigan's didn't. Um, I think generally in the trenches, Michigan Michigan was a little better, although I, I I don't think Ohio State's defensive line played poorly in that game. But I think overall trench play was was a, a, in slightly in Michigan's favor. Um, and then I think like Sharon Moore handled situations better than Ryan Day. Maybe maybe that's the biggest thing is is Michigan handled situations better than Ohio State did. Yeah. So I do think right the the quarterback situation you don't know what's going to happen with with Michigan Ohio State made a change with Will Howard and Michigan has a lot to replace on the offensive line and Ohio State's bringing a lot back but I don't know that that's like that's not just the end all be all of that cuz Ohio State probably needs a higher level of play from the guys who are back and I think as we said there's a fair assumption that Michigan will find some good guys. So I do think though it, like do we agree is it a fair assessment in the end um that the gap has closed like with right that like when we think about the team Michigan was a year ago and what it's losing and the team Ohio state was a year ago and what it's adding. 
And it's and again, for some people, it's like, well, Ohio State always had more talent, even as it was losing three games to Michigan. Yeah. But there's there's a point where it's like, well, that's not at some point. Like, that's not true. Like, like, like that the players are right, right. That who cares what your recruiting rating was like, who's playing better on the field. But if Michigan's had an advantage, has it been squished because of what Ohio state has done and what Michigan has lost? Um, I, I think fairly, I think fairly you have to say a little bit. Yeah. Right. I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I mean, I think it has. I mean, I think you have to, I mean, the Wall Street Journal says it. When you think about like what Ohio State kept and added, and when you think about what Michigan has lost and really has not yet had the opportunity to add, part of this is it's very difficult to sort of evaluate what Michigan is going to be here in late January when they haven't been active in the portal, when they've been dealing with unknowns about their future with their coaching staff like that. This is not the fully formed Michigan team. I think we know what Ohio State is, right? Do you know what we know what Ohio State's gonna be? Like that's pretty uh, really clear. Yeah, I, there's some question about like offensive identity. I think maybe, but um, really good on defense. I think is you know the most forward facing thing for Ohio State, and like I think good on offense. Just like how how are they going to be good? And and I do think part of it too is like Michigan's been very well coached in this game, in particular the last three years, all season, but in the game. Mm-hmm. And and again, people say we'll throw Connor Stallions out of the equation. Can I is is can we set this down for the North as a final thing? By the way, because I know there are some people, most of them Ohio State fans, when when they absorb praise of Michigan, first of all, it drives them crazy. But second of all, it they immediately go to what they cheated to get it. My official belief, as it stands right now, is that Michigan was breaking the rules for the last for the two and a half seasons previous to the Connor Stallion stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that very possibly, very likely did give Michigan an advantage in certain situations because that was happening. But then once they said, hey, this Connor Stallion stuff is happening and it stopped, Michigan kept winning. So I don't think Michigan won a national title because it stole signs, but I do think stealing signs in 2021, 2022, and the beginning of 2023 gave Michigan an edge. So I want to like acknowledge, almost like fully acknowledge the end of the 23 season and everything they did there, right? Without their head coach at times. That's just good winning football. While also acknowledging, yeah, they were doing stuff they weren't supposed to do, and I think it helped them. Is that like, is that the correct assessment as we try to like, that's, that's what I have percolating underneath every discussion I have about Michigan. That's my assessment. It was also the assessment of Charlie Baker. Wasn't it? Didn't he basically say the same thing? The NCAA president. Yeah. What did he say? Like they want it fair and square. But like, again, (laughs) I, I think some people took that as like, that means they didn't break any rules previously. I think he's saying like, well, once. Then they won it in the second half of the year, fair and square, right? That's yeah. what he meant. Yeah, that's what he meant. Yeah, and, and which which I agree with, and it doesn't mean I don't. It doesn't mean I don't think what they did was uh, wrong. It doesn't mean that I don't think they're not going to get punished for it. But I also I, I don't I don't know. I think it might for people outside of Michigan anyway, like taint to the overall legacy of Jim Harbaugh and this success, the successful tenure uh, or successful era of Michigan football. But I don't think it's the reason they won a national championship. Yeah. Okay. They won a national championship because they're good. Okay. 
let's talk about what we think it's going to look like in 2024 getting to this game getting to the best rivalry in college football getting to the best rivalry in the north we're going to run through the ohio state and michigan schedules and we're going to do that next on kings of the north all right so it's been an undefeated matchup ohio state michigan in each of the last two seasons could it happen again in 2024 could we get 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0 at the end of the year, it's going to be a slog. It's it's going to be a tougher test. And it's funny, last year, Land is one of the overriding themes early in the year, certainly in the North, certainly in the Big Ten, was like Michigan's lack of a non-conference schedule and just the way things fell. Some of the crossover games with the West, we know we know Big Ten is no longer East and West, but Michigan had a pretty easy schedule until playing Penn State. And it couldn't really get a handle on them. That's going to be the case with Ohio State this year. So let's go to the Ohio State schedule. Could Ohio State get to the Michigan game? 11 and 0. They bailed on like a good non conference game. It's Akron, Western Michigan, Marshall as their first three games. And there's an off week in there. It's terrible. What was it? There was a San Jose State was they got rid of. Yeah, but why? But like, why isn't there? They Who else did they cancel? Why isn't there like a real game? What did they cancel that like why like right because Michigan the reason Michigan didn't play anybody in the non conference last year? No, they were they supposed? I believe they were. Were they supposed to play Washington as a non conference game? This, this oh year? yeah, that might be right. Yeah, because Michigan was supposed to play UCLA the previous two seasons and they, and that got yeah. whacked. So so it's gonna like this this new Ohio State team with Will Howard at quarterback with a you know two headed backfield of Quinshawn Judkins and Trevon Henderson. We're not gonna go know anything for a month. Like Ohio State's gonna be steamrolling. These MAC teams, their first Big Ten game is at Michigan State on September 28th. We don't know how good Michigan State's going to be right away with Jonathan Smith. The Iowa defense on October 5th might be a test. And then at Oregon on October 12th, that's going to be a banger. But Mm -hmm. right, the whole thing last year was we don't have a handle on Michigan. And this year it's going to be we don't have a handle on Ohio State. Yeah, we didn't have a handle on Michigan until November. Um, at least with Ohio State, we're going to get that Oregon game early October, so that'll be nice. Um, and I think like how much of a of a test is Iowa? I, I don't know. Um, I guess tell me who their offensive coordinator is going to be, and I'll get back to you. Um, we will have breaking news on that. We'll do a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I don't, I don't think it's quite the same because of that Oregon game being on October twelfth. But Ohio State is going to go through its first five games of the season first. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, right? Games of the season without us knowing very much about them. So the two bye weeks for Ohio, the two off weeks are pretty early, September 14th and October 19th. And so after going to Oregon on October 12th, then it's Nebraska at home on October 26th at Penn State, home Purdue at Northwestern, home Indiana, Michigan. So again, even like that Oregon trip is huge. And they have to so they have to go to Oregon and Penn State, and then they get Michigan at home. But it's, you know, a pretty manageable schedule in the other nine, right, for the Buckeyes? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they got to go play at Alton Stadium and at Beaver Stadium. Like, I don't know. Show me a team that's got two more difficult road games yeah. this year. So, like, I don't, I don't want to – the home schedule is terrible, which I think makes us think that the whole, the whole schedule is terrible. Right. There are – three losable games on this schedule, which is not always the case for Ohio State. No, yeah. The only the only interesting home game is is Michigan. Like I yeah, the Ohio State season ticket holders should march on the ticket office yeah. and set their tickets on fire. Like this is it's an insult. I mean, like it's they're 
you still got to pay for them. And it's a, it's a yeah. really bad schedule. It's, it's like the worst home schedule for Ohio state. I've maybe seen in 20 years. So, um, Michigan though, Fresno state at home in the opener, Texas at home in week two. So Fresno state would have been the best team they played in the non-conference last year. Mm-hmm. Fresno. I have Fresno state in the playoff. You do. Fresno State is going to be in contention to be the best group of five team. It's who Michigan opens with, and then they get Texas. It's insane. For all the things that are changing with Michigan, for for a new offensive line and a new quarterback, and like they are going to, right? This is real right from the jump. And like, I'm not going to sit here and predict that Fresno State's going to come in and beat Michigan, but like that is. That is usually that is like right at the level of game that teams like this usually try to avoid because you're not yes. going to get any credit for beating them, but man, they're going to bring it. They're going to they're going to give you a game for sure. And it's funny, like we're we're going to go through all of September and at least the first week of October, feeling we don't know much about Ohio State. We're going to learn a whole lot about Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> in the month of, in the, by by October fifth, they will have opened with Fresno, played Texas, played USC, and gone to Washington. We'll know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> what what Michigan's made of, of uh, certainly far earlier than we did la- this past season. So, like that idea that they are getting, Michigan gets the three best new programs right away. They get Washington, Oregon, and USC right mm-hmm. away. Like it's wild, man. Like it's that that this is how um, this schedule broke down in a world where Ohio State only gets one of them. Ohio State only gets Oregon. And Michigan gets three USC, Oregon, Washington. Like, yeah. why did why didn't they give Ohio State two and Michigan two? Why did they give Michigan three and Ohio State one? It's weird. It is weird. Yeah, I don't, it's. <clears throat> I, I guess it's hard to be balanced with that. Like someone was going to have to do it, I guess. But Ohio State did get a rather favorable break when it comes to having to play these new teams. I guess. I guess the trade off is they have to go to Oregon. Um, Michigan gets USC at home, and it gets Oregon at home. It only has to go. To Washington, and I like if you were going to play, we don't really know what Washington's going to be like. It's a hard place to play, but like, yeah, you know, maybe Washington is not all that, excuse me, all that good this year. So we'll see. But yeah, it, it is odd that they got three and Ohio State got one. Two early off weeks for Ohio State. Michigan's are later in the year. So their first off week is October 12th after the Washington game, then at Illinois, Michigan State, Oregon, at Indiana, off week, Northwestern at Ohio State. So yeah, we we are going to find out about Michigan. Does this feel like eleven and zero versus eleven and zero? Or when you throw Oregon into the mix, when you throw USC into the mix, when you throw a road trip to Penn State for Ohio State into the mix, does it feel like okay, we're not getting it for the third straight year? I don't think we're getting it for the third straight year. Um, I I think Ohio State could very well end up dropping one of those two tough road games, um, and I just I don't think Michigan gets through all of that unscathed, I, I, even even with um, a couple of the tough, even like Texas is, is in Ann Arbor as well. Like they're three of those four really tough matchups are in Ann Arbor. I still have a hard time seeing Michigan get through all that without losing. We don't know what USC is going to be, right? Miller Moss, we assume, is going to be the quarterback after he threw six touchdowns in the bowl game. They still have talent. They got a new defensive coordinator. Like they're a mess, but they're trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like Michigan could start, Michigan could be pretty darn good and start two and two. When you're playing Texas and USC in the first month, yeah, yeah, I think so. Te- Texas is the one that would probably worry me a little more than USC, um, but yeah, they could definitely be two and two. They could be what? So 
beat Fresno, beat Arkansas, beat Minnesota. Like they could Arkansas State, yeah, Arkansas State. Excuse me. They could, like if I, if I said they're going to be three and three going into their off week, like that's and be good and be yeah, like, still, like, still and be, be good. good yeah. Not like they fell off a cliff, but be like Michigan's no. like honestly one of the ten best teams in the country, but just their schedule has led them to this point, which again yeah. is such a different place that it was a year ago. So I don't think we can assume this, right? The Ohio State Michigan rivalry matters regardless of what the records are but it's been pretty awesome that in this run here it's been a game that matters so much but they also ohio state and michigan with all these things i still think we'll have to see how it shakes out but i still think a a three loss big 10 team depending how tough their schedule is depending if they have some good wins in there can make the playoff mm-hmm. so I, I think we are we now, if they start three and three, and then they have to beat Ohio State, right? But like we're describing a world where Michigan could lose some games, but still be a playoff team, right? In the twelve-team world, we have to get people to understand that. Yeah, I think I think they definitely um, could be. I'm just looking at like the highest-ranked three-loss team this past season was LSU at thirteen. Um, so like they would have just been right right on the outside of it. And um, I put Michigan in the playoff, thinking Michigan are probably going to have two losses. Yeah, uh, this year, like 10, 10 and two feels kind of like the right projection for them. And and we'll see how the roster develops. Like I, I said, like they could be three and three in this first six. I don't think they're going to be three and three. If they can get out of that early stretch with with fewer than three losses, then I think they're in decent shape. But because I, I do think with as difficult as that schedule is, they could be a team that makes the playoff with three losses. And with the expectations we have for Oregon and Penn State, as you said, is it probably a fair assumption that Ohio State to win both those games on the road at Oregon and Penn State is a big ask for any program, and maybe you kind of got to think somebody jumps up and gets them. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it's – it's. I mean, Ohio State has a ton of talent coming back. They're going to be a top-two team in the preseason poll. I'm sure a lot of people might pick them to go undefeated, and they can certainly win both those games. They've won in tough games in Beaver Stadium before. Um, but those are just two really tough road trips against an Oregon team that we all think is going to be pretty good this year and, and a Penn State team that um, – could take a step forward, like be a little more dangerous, at least on offense and, and capable of, of scoring a little more than it, than it was last year. So, yeah, I think if if you're someone who thinks Ohio State's going to get gotten in, in one of those games, I, I think that's a well-reasoned take. When we really get down to it and predicting who we think is going to make the Big Ten championship game, which we don't have to do in January, it's January. Mm. We're really going to have to dive into schedules because that's going to matter so much, right? When you yeah. think about um, some of these teams, it certainly could be Ohio State, Michigan, but I think based on these schedules, maybe I wouldn't think that. That it's a it's just a big ask, and maybe maybe somebody, whether it's Penn State or Oregon, um, there's probably the leading contenders jumps up in one of those spots. So anyway, yeah, that's that's what we think of like the idea of how 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 what their records will be, what it what it can look like when we get to that game, how high level of a game will it be in terms of ranking and that kind of thing. But then the bottom line is it's the Ohio state Michigan game, no matter what. And I do think, how do you say this? Like on one hand, you can't put too much on a rivalry game. On the other hand, when they're both good, sometimes you're going to lose. And it's hard to splice that. I, I just, I don't think it's healthy to live in a world where, if you lose your rivalry game to a good team, you're ready to blow up the program every year because the way it works in sports, two teams can't win. And it doesn't mean that you stink if you lose your rivalry game. But four in a row is kind of a thing. Yeah. Like it's not normal to lose four in a row. And so I went back in the whatever it is, 122, 123 years of this rivalry. 
I should know that off the top of my head, and I don't. I'm gonna get yelled at. How I think, many, it's, a, I think it's 123, right? How many times has a team won four straight in the rivalry? And so the the one thing that jumped out to me, Landis, is even in the John Cooper years, two ten and one, Ohio State only lost four in a row once. Now they broke it up with a tie, right? Mm-hmm. But like otherwise it was so so it started off it was Michigan won four in a row, then it was a tie, then Michigan won again, then Ohio State won, then Michigan won three in a row, then Ohio State won, then Michigan won uh two more and that was it. Right? So even like that like that's the point here that it's at three in a row right now in the history of the rivalry, the longest streaks, Michigan won nine in a row at the very beginning, 1901 to 1909. Ohio State in their recent dominance won eight straight between 2012 and 2019 and won seven straight between 2004 and 2010, right? So there's that one-off game in 2011 that prevents this from being like a 15 or 16 game winning streak. Michigan won six in a row between 1921 and 1927. Ohio State won four in a row, 34 to 37 and 60 to 63. And Michigan won four in a row, 45 to 48 and 88 to 91. The point is this, four in a row is a lot, yes? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, especially for Michigan, looking at the history, they haven't done it since '91. Yeah. So, like that, it's it. I I'm trying. What am I? What am I trying to do? I'm not the official arbiter of any of this. I'm I'm not in charge of anyone's feelings. I try to be. Can I give you marital advice? Do you want marital advice? Sure. As I give you baby advice, I'll take it all. Yeah. Sometimes when my wife is mad at me, rather than apologizing, I will say to her, "Don't be mad." And that's not the same thing as apologizing, just as a heads up. So so don't be mad. Like, you idiot. I can't believe you did this. Don't be mad. Be careful with that. So like, um, I don't even know what my point is about that. But like, I, I, that's me trying to like regulate her feelings. I'm not trying to regulate people's feelings about this rivalry. But my instinct often is to try to pull people back from the ledge in the rivalry, especially when the other team is good. Like, listen, I know... It's the most important game. But sometimes when the other team is good, you, you're going to lose and maybe you'll even lose a couple in a row. But I would draw a line at four, right? That's my point with this is like, I think four in a row is a lot regardless of circumstances, regardless of how good anybody is. And especially when you add in the fact that they didn't play in 2020, that it would then be five years without Ohio State beating Michigan. That's yeah. a lot. Right. So that's a lot. And so I am, we talked about this already. Sometimes it's like, uh, not to be, to be smirch people, but sometimes it's the TV questions that you get that it's like, someone's going to say, Hey, uh, coach, you know, you guys did made all these moves. What kind of pressure does that put on you? And it's like, what are you like? They're trying hard. They're doing the best they can. There's pressure in the Ohio state Michigan game every year. Like, like I don't understand there's pressure in daily life. You're trying to do the best you can do. And so I don't think it's fair to turn Ohio State keeping good players, adding transfer portal players, making coaching moves, and being like, oh, man, that ratchets up the pressure. Like, that's not what the point is. The point is not ratcheting up pressure. The point is Ohio State doing the, everything it can do to try to beat Michigan. So I'm going to fight back against that, right? That Can I tell you another thing? I haven't gotten a haircut in a while, and I constantly am going back and forth with the strength of the hold in my hair gel. 
Do I want medium? Oh. Do I want hard, high hold? Do I want low hold? And at the moment, I am at, I am off. That if I have short hair, I can go low hold. If I have longer hair, I have to go high hold. And I'm currently at a long hair, low hold moment. Oh, you don't want to so be I, there. It's a bad I hair. have these stray hairs <laughs> hanging across my forehead all the time. It kind of looks like I'm wearing a toupee. So <laughs> <laughs> I need I need to figure this out. You know, a simple, simple solution is just uh, do what we, got, what we got right here. The high hold, the high, yeah. No high hold for you, baby. That's right. So I, I don't think it's a fair conversation to like take Ohio State doing everything it can do to compete with the national champions and make it a pressure conversation. That's completely lacking in nuance and is stupid to me. But I also want to acknowledge that four in a row is a lot. That's all. Yeah. Can I strike that middle ground or no? You can do whatever you want. It's your show. Yeah. I, I get I get I, I get I, I do I do get what you're saying. Because the implication of, like, of is that there hasn't been pressure before. It's like, of course there is. There's pressure every year with this. Uh, varying levels of it, maybe, but I, don't, I actually don't think so. I think it's it's more or less the same every year. But this also feels different. But the thing that I push back against is when someone or some group tries to improve, and then you say that the improvement creates the pressure, when it was like, ah, we give up. Ah, we lost three yeah. in a row. We told all the guys to go to the NFL. We abandoned our NIL collectives. We're only going to have four assistant coaches. Why do we even need 10? We give up because we just want to lessen the pressure. We want to we want to just have no chance. And then there's no pressure. Like sometimes I think when people talk about it a certain way, like that's what you're implying. That if you weren't trying, if you gave up, then there wouldn't be pressure. Yeah. It's like, well, who wants to live in that world? So have, the, you, have you considered not trying to lessen the pressure? Yeah. On, yeah. What if you just, you know. <laughs> Ryan, what if you just gave up? <laughs> but of course, right? I mean, yes, but also, you know, losing three in a row is different than losing two in a row and is different than losing one in a row and is different than winning 15 out of 16. So we understand that. So um, I just think there are so many interesting conversations around Ohio State and Michigan right now. Coaching, talent, the way they go about their business in different ways, both achieving at a high level, historically, all those things. I think the pressure conversation is the least interesting not, conversation. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. That's definitely true. The only conversation in college football that is less interesting than pressure is what are you going to do in the hotel all day before your 8 p.m. game? <laughs> Do you guys understand yeah. that games are played at different times? Oh, yeah. oh I'm I'm writing fourteen hundred words on primetime starts. Yeah. They play yeah. video games in the afternoon. Did you know that? They play video games. They watch other games. They do. But you also got to get them up and get them moving around. That's a very important part of it. Yeah. yeah. What time do you eat breakfast when you play at 8 p.m.? What do you do? <sighs> Game times. Okay. Thanks for joining us here on Kings of the North. Um Great plans ahead. I want to start breaking down some individual programs sooner than later. And not just teams, but programs, how good programs should be. I want to have the discussion about, are we adding the border schools? Uh, I want to rank some other things in the North. And we're also going to have some news coming around here. But I do think I want to continually like reset um, what's happening in Northern football. And the other thing is, I, I think we have to do is, I think we haven't been telling the South to cram it enough lately. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to do that too. Uh, 
That was the first time you said it on this episode. Yeah. Normally it's said multiple times per episode. So I and I don't know that we said it on the last one. Yeah. So I think you're I think you're right. I think it needs to be said more. I also want to have the writer of Strays on the show, which I think was the best movie of 2023. Uh Swearing Dogs. And yeah. he only has like 2,000 Twitter followers, so I think I can get him on. So would people want to have a and talk about the Oscar snub of Strays? Is that, that guy in any way, does he have any kind of relationship to Northern College Football, or you just want to talk about talking dogs? I just want to talk about swearing dogs. But when I told my wife I wanted to do that, she said dog mentality. So that was good. Oh, so, nice. So, yeah. How often, so, how often is dog mentality said in your house so like a daily basis now? Nine, nine times, nine yeah. times a day. <laughs> it's like if our dog, yeah. If our dog uh, goes out and takes care of business in the yard, it's like dog mentality. All right. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to Mike Rostowski, our great producer, who makes us look good and sound good. We wanted, like, this is the main thing, right? Middle is boring. Middle is boring. So you want to go 10,000 feet. We want to compare everybody in the north to each other with a big, broad view. And then we want to dive in on specific teams. And we want to get down with the microscope, right? So Mm -hmm. airplanes and microscopes are interesting. Otherwise, you're just walking around. And anybody can do that. Like you're just your view. Ah, I went for a walk and I saw a thing. Yeah, everybody saw it. That's not an interesting conversation. So microscope, airplane. That's how you find interesting topics. Do you agree? That's that's a great way to go through life, yeah. Yeah. So and also I gotta get my hair gel figured out. Oh my god. Low hold. He's, he's working with a low hold. Oh. Uh, do you go to like a good haircut place or do you go to like a chain for 10 bucks? No, I go to a a, a independently owned barber here in Columbus. Really? Yeah. I, they got me in on one of those chains where they give you gum and video games. Um, but I never know how to turn on the video game machine. So like I've gone there, they kind of lured me in. Hey, come play a video game while you're waiting for your haircut. And then I'm too shy to ask, like, how do I turn on the video game? So I just take 10 oh. pieces of gum. Oh yeah. I don't have that. No, I just go and sit in the chair and we uh, talk about football. Wow, man, you yeah. go to a man's. I, I want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Maybe my barber is actually a Michigan fan. Oh, for real? Can you ask your barber about my my conundrum? My <laughs> lots of hair, low hold. Conundrum? He's got a lot of hair and low hold. Yeah. Any any tips? Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks to you guys for joining us here on Kings of the North. For Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Kings of the North.